Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the TetraCast. My name is Zach Reese. I'm your host. It is the October 27, 2018 edition, and we're back. Uh, we took a little bit of a break last week. Um, uh, I was out of town, and honestly, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about, and so we figured, you know, let's give it a bye. It's been a long time since we actually took a break from the podcast, so it was fine enough for that, and I don't think anyone else was really uh, open in terms of schedule to be covering it anyway. But uh, we've got plenty now to discuss, uh, some some important stuff to, to chat about, some stuff that's coming uh, just in the past day or two that's worth having a chat about. But before we get into that, let me introduce my guests. First off, we've got James Glizio. Hello. Hello. And we've got the return of one Brian B. Lee. Hi. It's been, I think, about a year since I've been on one of these. Yes, Polly since the Game of the Year podcast. Uh, but, you know, uh, we've had um, plenty of people to cover the bases in terms of the podcast discussions, and uh, you've been covering a lot of games for us, and so it makes, makes sense that uh, you're a little busy to be doing this. But we welcome you onto the podcast all the same uh, for another edition. So, um, yeah, like I was talking about that, we've got a lot of game announcements, uh, some important industry discussions worth getting into. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, we would like to always talk about the games that we've been playing. So we'll start with uh, James, actually, because uh, this is something that you've been playing for a while, I believe. Um, it's Muv Love Unlimited. Uh, yes, uh, you. I don't know if this is like if this is different than the other because there's a few Muv Love games. Um, but I did see on your Twitter account you had just wrapped this up, I believe. I'm just about to. I think I'm on the final chapter or the second to final chapter before heading into alternative. Um, so basically right around Anime Expo, I picked up a few visual novels. First, Umineko, which took forever to get through. Yeah. Um, yeah um, and then Muv Love, because I said I was going to read it after Umineko, but then, well, college classes started up again, so I've been kind of jumping to and fro, like, First, it was like fighting games because there was that one fighting game I was playing a bunch. Then review games because I was on Labyrinth of Refrain for like, what was it, three weeks or something like that? Yeah, it was a while. And then and then Destiny 2, which I, God, I need to get that review up. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I've been wanting to get back to it and finally finish it and then get on to alternative. But it's just like so many other things I've had to focus on. And since I haven't been feeling too hot this week, I figured, well can't really play destiny when i'm feeling like garbage but i can read a vn so decided to finally get back to it for a bit that's good that's good yeah uh obviously that's a good way to relax with a good visual novel but that game is massive isn't it <sighs> muv love's <laughs> first half isn't for, sorry God. <laughs> it's like ah delicious go ahead hold the rubio there gosh <laughs> Um, yeah, the first half of Muv Love, from what I understand, isn't huge. Um, it's actually split into two halves because, um, when Muv Love first came out in like around 2003 or something in Japan, the second half, Muv Love Unlimited, wasn't really known. At least I don't think so. Hmm. So you went through this bog standard uh, romance comedy visual novel, and then after you did the two main heroines' roots, you uh, unlock Muv Love Unlimited, which basically turns it completely on its head, and it's a space opera almost. And, like, very 
very serious, like yeah. the exact opposite of the. Uh, well, it still has some comedy, but at least, at least in a limited. I understand the alternative probably changes things up even more. But basically, you go from being a happy-go-lucky romance story to oh hey, um, this is an entirely different world, and uh, aliens have literally knocked out most of the population of Earth. As they do. As they do. They class the Earth, as we know. So, yeah, it's it's been interesting. Uh, I've been liking it, but it's also... I, I know that most people say that Muv Love and Unlimited, Unlimited are basically just a big prequel to the actual um, meat of the game, which is alternative, so I'm excited to get to that. Yeah. Are you, does that mean you've been playing these games out of order a little bit? No. Um, I read the original Muv Love. Okay. Because they're on the same beta cartridge. Um, so I read Muv Love Extra, as they call it. Then I read, now I'm reading Unlimited. And then Alternative is the last one in the, uh, I'd say trilogy, but technically Muv Love is both Extra and Unlimited. So it's only a duology but most people just consider it a trilogy oh okay i'm i'm, I'm probably mistaken you with josh because i believe he played alternative and i thought for a moment that you had played that earlier so uh that makes way more sense um but yeah so it's just that's been mostly your your uh on your plate for the past couple weeks um well last week i did play some more destiny too because i wasn't feeling like garbage um i don't know if i talked about my final thoughts on the full rate itself or if I, I i think i did i'm not sure yeah i believe um, you touched on it i don't remember if you i think what happened is um i got through a portion of the raid before the podcast and then after the podcast on the sunday i finished it up yeah that's probably the case okay so i mean not much not much else to add to it i think my uh, thoughts from the prior podcast are still the same yeah the raid's good. It's complicated, but I mean, kind of well, want some something a bit more complicated for a six-player activity because it's like, okay, what can you only do with six players? <laughs> yeah, but for a game that's mostly about its raids, like that's what draws so many players to that series. It's about the raids. Um, yep, it doesn't sound like it really delivered as much as you wanted it to. Oh no. I, I definitely think it, well, I've only done two uh, Destiny's raids, um, base game Destiny 2 and now The Last Wish. And I think it's better than Leviathan. A lot of people seem to really like it, and I enjoyed it. I, if anything, the reason why I'm kind of like, oh, hey, it, or, well, not really super excited about it anymore is probably because I've done it a few times now. So the uh, the luster of it has kind of disappeared a bit. Fair enough. Fair enough. As someone that doesn't know much at all about Destiny, is six players for the raids like above what the normal player number is? Because I know, like, um, yeah, in, in, in MMOs, raids range from ten to twenty to twenty-four, and and sometimes higher in some cases. But that's usually the party size is limited to like five or eight, yeah. so the raids are like more than your typical party. Yeah, from what I understand, like the average MMO raid is anywhere between eight to forty players, depending on the game and the content. But uh, Destiny 2, definitely, since partially because it's a shooter and partially because right. I'm assuming consoles, it, the uh, maximum number of players in a fire team is six. So the uh, most of the time you can only have up to three people in a fire team for most activities. 
There are some cases like in competitive PVP where you can have four and uh, quick play PVP. If, if you want to do a full stack, you can have six, but for the most so part, scaled to destiny six is still a large party for that game. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. All right. Well, yeah. So hopefully they got bigger plans uh, for that game uh, coming up here. Uh, I think we've already oh, talked yeah, about, I, about that. I, I definitely feel like they're doing a good job. Uh, another thing that I don't think I talked about was the fact that they've been doing a good job of having content drops at least like once a month, it feels like. Because um, right now there's something going on called the Festival of the Lost. And previously in Destiny, that was just kind of a reskin for the main social space. And you had... Uh, a train. Uh, there goes the train. Uh, I'm just wait for this. <laughs> The hype train always delivers during a podcast. I love it. One thing we don't speak over. <laughs> nope. Um, but anyways, um, in the past, it's just been like a reskin for the social space and has had some uh, cosmetic DLC added with the uh, content drop. This time around, it has a little bit of a side story going on with a murdered character in the lore and uh, an exotic gun that you can get from uh, completing the story next week. And there's a new activity that's kind of like a, not really a horde mode, but more like uh, get as far as you can into a gauntlet, like traversing, like going forward and whatnot. It's something that hasn't really been in the game before. So it's new content, even if it is kind of a reskin of previous content. So it's really nice to see them doing something with the event and not just being like, hey, here's some spooky decorations. And here's some microtransactions you can buy if you want. <laughs> for people who decide to. I mean, yeah, for a game that obviously doesn't charge a monthly fee, uh, it still needs to make sure that its large player base keeps coming back because it's apparently had some real trouble with that uh, for obvious reasons. So, well, yeah, uh, for then, if you've been absorbed with those couple games, uh, Brian, we can move to you. Um, this is a okay. Okay, so um, people who don't know, uh, Fallout New California. This is what you've been playing. It's a mod that was that's been in development for years. Uh, it's for Fallout New Vegas for a reason. It actually is served up as a prequel to it. And if I'm not mistaken, it's because uh, wasn't Fallout Three supposed to be set in in New California, or am I mistaken it for a different game? Well, I don't remember all the details because I'll be honest and say, even though this mod has been in development for, I think, eight or nine years, and it's been under two names, uh, Project Brazil is what it was originally called. And then some point recently, it got switched over to New California. So I don't really, I, I wasn't keeping up with the mod until recently. I think a trailer dropped in June or July, basically uh, announcing a release date. And it's not really like, they still call it like a, be a beta 2.0. So it's it's they treat it like a full release, but in the same breath, call it a beta. So it's kind of interesting, but it's I'll just say it's like it's feature complete. It's twenty five to thirty hours if you do everything. So it there there are some like it it lacks a few like polish and <clears throat> sort of sorts of things that you'd expect from a full release. But at the same time, it's it's kind of easy to excuse though, seeing how this is basically like a passion project run by two people, at, you know, for the most part. Um, so yeah, I, as soon as that trailer dropped, I started replaying through the base game just because it, it had been, you know, since it launched the regular Fallout New Vegas since I've played it and I don't replay games often, but I figured, Hey, if I'm 
I'm gonna if I'm gonna replay this uh this this mod when it launches in October in the last week, let me play through the base game. So I spent the early part of the month doing that, and then this last week playing the mod, and I've had a good time with it. So um, I plan on writing up kind of a quasi review slash impressions, you know, also like just what it is uh, for the site later this weekend. That'd so be, yeah, that'd be great. Um... I only mentioned about the Fallout 3 because, because if I'm not mistaken, that was supposed to have a lot to do with the new California New Public. And so I think that that's – I was re- watching a uh, documentary recently about that. So I was curious to know whether that was at all tied into that. But it sounds like that this is definitely its own thing. As you mentioned, it used to be Project Brazil. I actually forgot about that. Um, I think it was supposed to be set on a separate island. I think it was supposed to be like kind of related to Black Isle Studios like in, in some form. Like it was right. It, to them. Um, so I, I have not played – the Black Isle Studios or the original Fallout games. I've only played the Bethesda titles. So I believe it does make callbacks to those games, but some of those, just being honest, some of those are lost on me because I haven't experienced <laughs> them. Course. It is it is it is also clearly a prequel to New Vegas. And it does, even in a small case, reference Fallout 3. It's hard to really kind of separate what is purely fan fiction and what is just a kind of a you know, a call out to like a reference that doesn't really affect it. It's just saying, Hey, um, do you remember this event from fallout three? Well, we're going to reference it here. So people who care about t- words like canon or things like that might, might have issues with it. People who just kind of see it as a side story might, might be less, I don't know, annoyed by some of the things that it does, but it, it's a, it's a prequel that takes place about 20 years before the events of new Vegas. So that's kind of where it sits in the timeline, whether or not you consider it, uh, canon or canonical or not, um, right? And it's 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 like a separate standalone game that requires New Vegas to play. It's not the same character that you bring there or whatever. You when you click new game, you select do you want to start a new a New Vegas game or a New California game. So oh, okay. that's how it's kind of that's kind of how it's organized. It do, it does sound. I mean, does it seem like that that length of development time it was worth it in the end? Like it sounded like you were kind of a little bit mixed on the experience, but. Yeah, um, so to put it kind of in bullet points, I think the quest design is really good. There are clear places where you say, like, wow, this would have turned out much differently if I made a different choice. Um, For instance, the very first thing you do in the game, this was in the trailer, is you're playing a football game for your vault. And you can either choose to tackle the player in front of you or attempt to dodge. If you tackle them, you, you win the game and the game starts and the video game starts in the coach's office congratulating you on the win. If you attempt to dodge, you fail, and then you wake up in the doctor's office. And that's <laughs> that's first that's first three minutes of the game. Um, and then there are easily four or five points where you have to make a clear choice between get captured by the Raiders or shoot them and escape or, you know, side with one side of the vault uh, security team or the or the enclave. It, so it's, there's a lot of cool design decisions there. Some of the weaker parts of the game are it's fully voice acted, which is an impressive stake in, on its own, but it's obviously not professional voice actors. They're amateurs. Yeah. So some of the performances are fine. Some of them are really not fine, but <laughs> at the same time, I, I do feel like a lot of the roles, even the ones that are more questionable, that they kind of like settle into their roles as they go on. So I, Obviously, this is just a guess, but I bet you they recorded the lines kind of in chronological order. So it feels like some people kind of settled into their characters as you get five, ten hours into the mod. So by the time I was at the end, I wasn't really cringing at the dialogue. And 
like even ambient dialogue, like when you're walking through a town or an event's going on, so you can't open up the dialogue window, they'll, they'll, they'll chirp, you know, unique lines. They aren't just borrowed from the main game. So there's a kind of a cool attention to detail there and everything is voiced. It's impressive. Yeah. It's, and the last thing I'll say is, uh, sorry, is that, um, but the, the one thing that the fallout, the Bethesda Fallout games are good at, I believe, all of them, whether you're a fan of three, New Vegas or four or whichever, is that the worlds feel lived in. You go in a house and there's just kind of crap everywhere. There's dishes on the table. There's books on the shelves. There's, you know, rotten food in the fridge. What this mod doesn't have is it doesn't really have that quality. You'll go into a house and it'll have like one footlocker, which is kind of like the loot of that house or whatever. And then everything else will be empty. The rooms will have nothing in them. Uh, you'll you'll see trucks parked in parking lots. You'll go to the back of the truck where you'd expect to find, you know, some crap and there's nothing there. Yeah. It, it feels kind of like it just there's a lot less clutter, which you might say, like, well, that doesn't matter so much. But it does kind of feel like it's empty. It's it, like and you can see why they didn't prioritize that. It's hard to really judge it. Like, yeah. oh, how dare they? But at the same time, you do. It's 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 something that you do kind of notice. Yeah. So, I mean, it feels clearly... more arcadey. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, sorry. Um, uh, just saying that, yeah, it's clearly it's, it's highly ambitious, and that's obviously why it took so long. I imagine that the scale got kind of out of control, which is why it took so long to be made. Um, because, I mean, it was mod, it was made for Fallout New Vegas. You know, they could have made it on Fallout 4 if it was something that was a lot smaller in scale. But, you know, kudos to them for actually, you know, following through and releasing a project because as someone who's been part of the mod scene before, I mean, I used to write for moddb.com, they... Um, you would see so many projects appear and then die a silent death, right. which is kind of like video game industry in general. But uh, it's just something that, uh, especially something of this scale, you hardly ever get to see the light of day on that stuff outside of maybe an alpha right. or beta. So my last two comments will be, uh, I guess the the developers are going to be adding to it. So this is kind of like a feature complete package but they're gonna like i I guess the plan is to drop in more side quests drop in more dialogue uh, branches so it's kind of interesting that there's still more to look forward to but also i guess the fallout new brazil mod won some award for most for best mod uh sorry project brazil um back in 2013 so well before (laughs) fallout 4 so you can kind of see like this has been incubating for a while which kind of introduces a few problems because Nexus mod manager was the go-to manager, mod manager back then, but now people have moved away from that. But some, you know, so there's a, there's a few issues that crop up when it's been in development and had a different, a few different releases over the course of eight years. But reminds, it's yeah. the, the package that's available now is good and it's worth playing. Yeah, opinion. it reminds me of when that Black Mesa game was on, constantly on someone's like best upcoming mod or best upcoming game it was on multiple lists and so like there's only so many times you can do that before it's like all right put it out (laughs) put it out already um but it had delays for good reason for something so ambitious but and apparently it's um it's a little it's pretty lengthy as well which is very hard to do (laughs) i have a game lawn and and as you said feature complete uh it's quite the quite the task so hats off to them for being able to do that but of course we'll read your article uh, when it when you have it up um, to know exactly your full thoughts on the matter, I suppose. Right. So back going back in time to the one other game I want to talk about on this cast is yeah. um, in September uh, I played Pathfinder Kingmaker, which is a console style CRPG or sorry computer style CRPG uh, from a new studio in Russia called Alcat. 
And I'll be honest and say, I really had no idea about anything on this game other than Chris Avalon had a part in it. Yeah. But it feels like his, his name is often attached to these things to get you in, to get people interested or a certain population of people interested. So I guess it worked here. It's a stretch goal uh, is what it was, I think. Right. <laughs> makes sense. Right. So, so what Pathfinder is, and this is just like the first paragraph Wikipedia summary is that when Dungeons and Dragons moved from the third edition to the fourth edition, I guess a lot of the changes were absolutely unpopular. They, they made lots of things that just, to be blunt, pissed people off. So Pathfinder was kind of a branch off of the 3.5 edition of Dungeons and Dragons. And in 2013 or 14 actually outsold it. Like it was kind of basically a kickback to the unpopular fourth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. Now I guess Dungeons and Dragons has made up ground again with the fifth edition, but Pathfinder is still kind of sitting around as a very popular tabletop pen and paper, you know, RPG game. So this is the first, you know, this is the first published game based on that, uh, on the tabletop game Pathfinder. So that's kind of what it is. And this game is, uh, very ambitious. It's interesting because it kind of is half isometric RPG, half kingdom sim. And yeah. so in that way, it's got a lot of interesting ideas. Like, for instance, if you uh, it starts out low level, like if you set up your kingdom in a certain way and uh, and do these sort of uh, desk tasks where you you assign your uh, your team to be certain advisory roles in your kingdom, such as a. Uh, an economist and a, a general or whatever you start out getting little buffs. Like when you're fighting in regions, you control, you cannot be poisoned, you know, little things like that. And yeah. then eventually they grow into scales. Like um, anyone that's fighting within your regions gets, you know, these bonuses to their attack roles and their defense roles. So it kind of scales up as you go through. Uh, so I have a review out that I, that I put out late September, or early October. I don't remember. Yeah. And the main problem with the game right now is that, it it released in a state where I couldn't finish it because of bugs. It's yeah, like it, Obsidian games of the mid two thousands put this to shame in terms of how it performed. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it broken quest lines, uh, areas where you would enter a region and you couldn't move from the entrance. Your characters would just get stuck. Um, just it was a whole like you can just read my review to i don't want to just sit here spending a whole lot of time complaining because they are putting out daily patches every other day i'd come home and look at my steam update and see 500 megs here one gig here of patches and hot fixes and oh. i think they're on like hot fix 13 or 14 and they're not Jeez. small things so it just it released in a state where it wasn't ready like not even close and i see the potential there but just i can't really recommend in good conscience people don't wait for it. Like it's one thing to wait for a, a complete edition with all DLC or whatever, but it's another thing to wait for a game to, to, to arrive at a state where you can actually finish it. Um, it's, I, I don't know. I feel like it was a, a blunder to release it so early. Yeah. But, so I scored it poorly, but at the same time, if you read the text uh, or if you just kind of hear my intonation now, I do think it does a lot of things incredibly well it's just that a lot of it right now is potential and not realized so it's i think by september of 2019 that game could be amazing (laughs) (laughs) but right now it's not so yeah and you're not alone uh it seems like the general consensus is that it came in really hot 
and they obviously did not fix any of the issues. They had to meet a deadline, and sadly, it meant that it came in the state that it did, and you've seen a lot of people request refunds on that game because of the experience they had. So I imagine the developers are going to have to work hard to, you know, get people to play their game again. Uh, Right. Yeah. One thing, though, that I do want to state is that I guess... It, a lot of people have seen the potential there because yeah. if you look at like the Steam concurrent player numbers, it is kind of matching what Obsidian did with Deadfire earlier in the year, which is a more polished game, but maybe disappointing in other ways. So it's it's had a lot of people play it and try it, though I think it's also got a lot of people who you know are, are now waiting on it. Bounced off. Um, it, I guess yeah. the game. I, yeah, I, I guess the game had an alpha and a beta or two early play sessions. Like I went through like the first three chapters or so. So like when you play through those, it's fine. A few bugs, you know, things will pass, polish out. Nothing groundbreaking. But then when you get past the point, you kind of put in more hours and you just find the game just kind of unravels. Like oh, I guess I'm not completing the quest for that companion because it's bugged out. I'll just ignore it. Oh, I guess I'm not going into that region because I can't move from the entrance. I guess I'll ignore it. Oh. And then you just kind of keep you, you just kind of keep like dodging these. Uh, like I'm just going to brute force my way through this game. And just ignore what I can't complete for now because it's it's in a rough state until it ends up being the main quest you can't complete. And you're like, well, oh my God. I guess I'll put See, it. I, I, I guess I'll put it down now. See, that's the thing is that when you put out reviews and we don't give them like great scores, uh, you know, you'll eventually get people that are fans of that game, uh, especially with the concurrent plays like you were talking about. They'll jump in there and obviously offer their two cents and, uh, you know, either uh, offer constructive uh, critiques about the stuff that you typed about the, in your review, or they'll just straight outright attack you, which is typical comments. But in this case, it seems like people were pretty much agreeing with what you were seeing and anyone else who had problems with it because they were excited to play this game. It, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was on Kickstarter, which is what I meant, like stretch goals. I don't think, right. I don't know if Chris Avalon was, but um, it's something that like it was uh, feverishly awaited for, and this is what happened. And now people are just like, well, a lot of the games coming out this fall that <laughs> I can at least distract myself. Well, it also kind of depends on uh, when people say, like, I haven't met very many bugs yet. It's kind of you have to ask yes. two questions like, well, what <laughs> chapter are you in? And then also uh, what hotfix was the most recent one before you started playing? Because someone who played it on September 25th and then someone who played it on October 10th could be playing, you know, games that are four or five hot fixes apart it's uh, kind of interesting so it's like the day one patch thing and that's the thing is like we'll put out a review and you know they might fix some of those problems later but when there's like core issues with the gameplay that's completely breaking the main quest and crashing the desktop and all these other matters that can really ruin the experience it, that's why it's so important to like here's the review for what it is now it's not like a game as a games as a service type of product it's not an mmo or whatever this is a game that people are paying what is it like 40 bucks or something like that for it and i don't remember yeah but all, like one one of the big things it's it's not just like broken quest lines like i guess during the course of the game you upgrade your capital from town to village to city and like it's supposed to visu- visually look different when you do that and it wasn't so these are like big omissions like how like how does that not work yeah <laughs> but um i d- it's hard to plan this far ahead but i do plan on revisiting it in 6 months you know, yeah. nine months, however long it takes. And depending on what I experience, I'll probably share my thoughts on it then, you know, mid next year or whatever, and just talk about how, how far it's come or how little's changed, depending on where it does end up. Uh, but it's it's definitely a game that I think is worth looking into next year. It's, it's funny because now, uh, aside from the fact that that game's could be like that, Bethesda got our front of Fallout 76 saying that, okay, it's going to be a beta, 
uh, and it's going on right now, and it's coming in really hot, and there's a lot of bugs. But I, I should also mention and this it, is something. It's going to be spectacularly buggy, or however they worded it. Yeah, yes. exactly. I wanted to mention um, that there's actually been comments about that. I, we didn't put it in the news, so I, I guess I'll mention it here since we're in context, and that. Uh, there, there's now been a big of an, a, an outcry about Fallout 76 uh, because now people are calling for private servers. Because right now what people are doing, they're joining servers, killing somebody, looting their bodies, and then leaving. And they get to keep what they took. And so now it's that Fallout 76 is kind of in a bad state right now, I've noticed. And I think that that's probably part of the reason why Bethesda is trying to get in front of stuff. Because I imagine that the, uh, the whole opinion around that game and maybe the interest in picking it up is low. <laughs> and I think that these types of stories aren't helping. And so, you know, aside from having a buggy game, having that type of issue with the with an online server, is like, imagine if Pathfinder Kingmaker had that had those issues too. Like, it would be way worse for them. Uh, and Bethesda... Right, luckily, it's a single-player game. So. Yeah, and that's it's weird though, because like Bethesda, you can point to them and say, okay, they're, they have very buggy games, but they always score like a good high score from their reviews it's such a weird experience going from a developer that had gone through crowdfunding and such uh into something like bethesda like this triple a studio uh putting out these games that are super buggy but now just straight hurting the experience you can make the argument that people looting bodies and uh, killing and looting bodies can be just as bad as having a broken quest design (laughs) so right unfortunately i don't think since the beta so far has been xbox only yeah i don't think anyone on site other than alex has had a chance to really go on with it um it does the beta does start for pc and playstation uh next week so yeah. i do plan on playing it and if i'm on the podcast next week i'll i'll talk about it then see what it looks like. <laughs> yeah let us know if you get those uh bad game experiences and see if maybe bethesda has a way to address them uh that game's out in a few weeks so hopefully they've resolve it in some fashion like some sort of because they did mention before that there'd be some sort of punishment for people who trolled others but that was just putting a bounty on their heads pretty much uh i don't know if that'll fix it if people are just like <clears throat> killing looting bodies and then just you know bad experience it's kind of like arc people had that experience for a while too or like um what was the survival game that people were just like arresting people and bullying them constantly i forget what it was it was it was one of those like big survival games that came out i think it was like uh, like a zombie game. Anyway, I'm not familiar with them, but like Rust or Arnold, yeah, Rust, Rust. It happened a lot in Rust. Uh, I heard that, and that's awful. <laughs> that's some real shit right there. Uh, but yeah. Uh, well, aside from that, we'll wrap things up. Uh, you also played more Guild Wars Two Season Four just launched, right? Well, it's about it's about halfway through. I yeah. don't have a lot to say about it. So, so the expansion, the second one, launched last year, and since then, it's been the usual. Every three months, we'll drop an episode, kind of typical um, updates. It's it's kind of just progressing the story at this point, the the overarching narrative. So, there's not really a whole lot to talk about. I guess I'll just say that I feel like a lot of the episode drops are got have gotten pretty formulaic in the last year. Yeah. They'll add a new map. They'll uh, They'll add, they'll add some achievements and a collection of weapons and three or four story quests, and that's kind of it. They did add a raid recently, uh, and I guess the one thing I will say about the recent raids is that over 2016 and 2017, the raids had been pretty dark. Like one of them was uh, like a giant prison, and the other one was the underworld. So they were like these bleary, dark, dreary things. Mm-hmm. And then the most recent raid. Um, it's kind of like you're playing in a genie's lamp. So it's a little bit more lighthearted. It's kind of more whimsical. So, so it's, it's kind of nice. Basically 
there's there's a there's a there's a mechanic in the game where you throw random items into something called the Mystic Forge, and it gives you a random item back. So it's kind of like gambling. So you can get legendary items that way, or you can get garbage. And you basically are in the world space of that. So you you go in and you see a bunch of like these weapons falling from the ceiling of people throwing it in, and piles of gold and stuff everywhere because that you know people have collected. It's like the bottom of a magical wishing well. So I do kind of like that this new raid in the game is kind of stepping back from this we got to be grim dark and serious and it's it's more whimsical it's kind of fun you fight you fight something called the gins basically the game's version of a genie um that has kind of taken over the place so it's fun it's interesting but it's kind of i feel like it's treading water the game right now um which is i guess fine it's just not really interesting to talk about for people who aren't into the game so i expect by december they'll launch another episode it'll it'll add a new map it'll add a new weapon set and it'll be kind of more of the same. You know, it's it's just kind of treading water right now, I feel. Yeah, I mean, it's weird that Guild Wars 2 is still relevant. Uh, it's kind of like, I wouldn't say it's like EverQuest in that like, okay, they're still putting out content for that game because Guild Wars 2 obviously is a lot newer than that. But you're like the only person I know who's still playing Guild Wars 2 and you're sticking with it. And I guess it's that they're doing a good job and keeping your interest if you're still playing it. At least it's, I mean, it makes some sense that it's one of those like, you know, buy once, play forever uh right that's you know that's obviously the game strength it doesn't have a sub fee like destiny so you can play an episode and you can you know it takes a week to kind of see what there is to see put it down for two months three months show back up and the next episode drops it's 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 kind of a low commitment sort of thing so you don't really have to weigh do i keep paying the fee for this or or no you just kind of show up if you want to don't show up if you don't i mean i would say destiny doesn't have a subscription fee but um well that's what i'm saying the that's oh, that, just that like it. I'm sorry. I thought you said sorry. Like <laughs> yeah, sorry if I sorry if I said uh, the opposite thing. How about Party Fantasy no. 14? Because we got people playing that game. Yeah, right. But so that game obviously does have a sub feel like wow. So just kind of the pace of release, yeah. I assume, and the level of player investment is a bit higher. I, yeah, I absolutely. Assume. Well, it actually reminds me that I was playing Final Fantasy 14 before I got caught up in other things. So it's like. Uh, it's a good way, at least, to kind of fill the gaps between releases. So, uh, Guild Wars 2, at least, is doing a good job. Like, every three months, I imagine, it's just like, that's a perfect time because every three months, there seems like there's nothing coming out. <laughs> so, you can kind of jump in on it and see what, what's going on. Um, well, for me, uh, I'll keep it very brief since we've been talking at this first segment for a bit now. Uh, just picked up Red Dead Redemption 2, um, and I've been having a great time with it. I can see why it's gotten so much acclaim, which is not shocking. That's pretty much Rockstar Games' uh, MO that they put out this critically acclaimed uh, darling of a game. Uh, and, you know, putting aside all the horrible alleged treatment to employees from doing uh, gobs of overtime with little recognition for their stuff. And I heard, like, that was, like, the Housers that they're getting most of the royalties from the success of the game. It's like, there's a lot of shit going on at Rockstar, I'll say. But that doesn't put apart that, you know... Uh, that these people put a lot of work into it, and it's, it clearly shows. And so you can appreciate that that fact. Um, could have done without the overtime, but that's different. Uh, I'll say that the opening... I've only played um, uh, about four or five hours of it, and I've been having a superb time with it. It's got a hell of a 
opening, uh, like the presentation alone in the opening is pretty excellent. Um, uh, it's just kind of like GTA five in that everything starts like in a winter tundra. And you, so you're crawling around on these giant snow banks and the visuals are stunning. Like uh, the way that the snow moves around the characters, it really, uh, gives the game a lot of its feel. And, uh, it's like the, the whole like old West style really fits this game way better than it did in Red Dead Redemption one. I think it's far better in this way because since the characters you're with are on the run, as opposed to uh, last game where John um, John Marsden he uh, started off inside of a town. It's that right now you're kind of lost in the mountains and you have to find your way to civilization. I think that's kind of a better setup. Um, and not only I've read a lot over the last week about how some people are like. Well, I don't really care about Rockstar games except Bully or blah, 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 blah. But like for me, it's I don't really care about Rockstar games except Red Dead. Like that was the one game I played back in 2010 or 11 when it came out, yeah. mainly because I love the setting. So like I don't really care about the GTA setting or the Bully setting. Yeah. Um, but uh, just there's not a whole lot of super polished, big Wild West games. Uh, no. I wish there were more RPGs that were set in the Wild West. Um, I guess there's that MMO that got confused for Red Dead. Yeah, like that Wild ago, West or, or something like that. I don't Wild remember Dead, much about that. I, I haven't that thought about it since. since huh? uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it got it got it more it, it got it more uh, press than it would have otherwise, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember too bad. I don't remember what it's. But anyway, I do plan on playing Red Dead at some point. I don't have a PlayStation or an Xbox right now, so I'm waiting. Uh, but it, I do. I love the setting. Um, I kind of love the uh, the degree of. It, people say that it's slow, that it's plotting, that sometimes it feels almost uh, cumbersome, but in a way that where it's supposed to be kind of engrossing or uh, it's supposed to be kind of placing you into that sort of unwelcoming environment. Yes, which I, I think I'm, I think I'm okay with. Like, not everything has to feel like so perfectly in the player's control and so, um, I guess, twitchy and like something that's a little bit more plotting, a little bit more deliberate. I think I'm okay with that every once in a while. And like, I love the setting. I, I, I want to try it at some point. So I'm glad to hear that it seems to, that it seems to hold up and it's obviously reviewed outstanding. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that the world is very grim and it's desolate uh, in many places. It's, it fits the, fits the setting that it's trying to go for. And, uh, you know, right off the bat early on, it's that they hit you pretty hard with a lot of stuff to do. Like, uh, aside from the fact that you're doing some of these important missions, uh, while it's in- introducing you to all the different game mechanics, um, you already do a heist in the beginning of the game. I'm not going to spoil much about this game. Like, it's it's obviously a brand new release, so I'm not really going to go too deep into like the story aspects of it. But I'll say that the voice acting is insanely good. Uh, like this is top tier talent going on in this game, which is once again not too shocking. But I think it's probably the best voice acting performances that I've ever heard in a Rockstar game, and I don't think I'm alone in that uh, in that type of praise. Uh, it's just it's so well done, and everyone fits their characters so well. It's like they basically become their characters in their performances, and I think that really sells it for me. And as you said, the pace. So it's is- the opposite of New California. Pretty, well yeah i mean it's hard to compare the two of course but like yeah it's um 
the pacing is very slow and as you said uh and it's as as mentioned it's very deliberate in that too it's because you're supposed to become fully absorbed in in the world that is trying to craft and it makes me feel bad that I'd even want to touch the fast travel system because there's all these things going on in the world. Um, and yeah, it's just like it's so well painted. You go through different seasons, uh, like you've, like right off the, like early on, like in, in chapter two. Uh, I'm not gonna once again. I'm not gonna spoil this, but there's a bar scene. And it's very well done. Like people get drunk off their asses and have a blast, and it's just it's it's so funny. It's so much fun, and like uh, I I I really sold like uh, the start of the game for me, and it makes me excited to see where things will go from here, uh, in terms of like where the story goes, how you get to know all the different characters, all the people that are part of your game. Uh, you already get to know a lot of them early, but like there's other characters that you can clearly uh, get to know more. And, you know, all these characters go someplace because they their stories are also carried over to Red Dead Revolver, Red Dead Revolver, excuse me, and Red Dead Redemption. And this is a prequel. So, like, there's people in, in your group that you kind of know what happens to them if you play those other games. And so it's kind of shocking to see where they came from um, to where they ended up in those later titles. So I um then there's already a lot of speculation around a certain event that happened before the game began, and so I'm I'm very curious to hear about what what's going to happen. Um, and you know, there's a lot of stuff to do. And one other thing I want to mention is that the game has a cheat menu already that you can unlock by inputting cheats uh, and and toggle them if you want to. So it's like it's basically catered towards whatever type of gameplay style you want to be a part of, whether that's to play it the tried and true way. Um, or if you want to straight up like add a bunch of cheats, like it, it, it accepts that. That's an option in the menu. So I think that's pretty. Does cool. it have a big head mode? Oh gosh, I don't know. I didn't actually look at the cheats because I feel like <laughs> it, once I do, I'll become tempted. But I do know for a fact there's like ammunition. Right, one, once like once that. you toggle one on, you'll you'll, you'll eventually yeah, turn them all on. It's so it's. I mean, I'm want, playing. You don't on, want to tempt. Yeah, I mean, I'm playing on Xbox, so it's not like I have a big reason to care about that too much because uh, I spent most of my time on on PS4. Uh, I mean, up the PlayStation through the years, of course, with all the different RPGs. I did own a 360, so I do have a lot of achievements. But even then, it's like I don't know if that even matters. I think it's mostly that I, I want to experience the way the game the way it was originally intended, and maybe once I beat the game, I'll play with that stuff. You know, like that's that's kind of like a new game plus maybe a type of uh, thing right. I would do. So. Uh, for now, just saying, yeah, it's clear to see why it's such a uh, why people are loving it so much, and I can't wait to go back and play more of it because it's become uh, so well done so far, and uh, just learning about all the different things I come across. I will say that I still think Witcher Three is maybe is definitely the high watermark for the genre, just because uh, there's still some things that the game doesn't do as well as Witcher does. For example, like. I'll say, like, in terms of mechanics, like, the only way you can get your horse to follow the trail is by going into cinematic mode after setting a waypoint and just hitting A or, you know, whatever you have the control set to make your horse go faster. It follows the trail to that place, but then it can also get confused if you set a custom waypoint and there's a story waypoint. Like, I had one just running around the area for a while before I realized there was a problem there. Uh, Witcher 3... it's that it follows the trail no matter what. Like as long as you're following a path, it sticks to that path. If you don't do that where it goes into cinematic mode, the horse can just veer off the path immediately. And it doesn't avoid the trees either in, in, in uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. So you just run plow, right wild, into a tree so. and fly off. Yeah, you go flying like head over, uh, you know, uh, head over feet. That's kind of interesting because uh, I, know, I know at this point this is below nitpicking. This is 
nit nitpicking, but uh, yeah. it's just interesting that we've seen uh, action kind of games like Zelda and then yeah. RPGs like or have these kind of interesting horse-related tech, and then we know what sort of horse-related tech went into Rockstar, but apparently it wasn't the as good a level of pathfinding. It's just kind of interesting. I mean, yeah. there is some pathfinding in 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 because you can tell that it kind of pulls away from the trees when it gets close to them, but it doesn't outright avoid them like it does, like in say Zelda, which I guess goes to well, show. Well, you could say you some, could say maybe it wants to keep the player a little bit in control. Yeah, like, want some realism. You sometimes you want to go off the path so. and run in, around the trees, but like sometimes I don't want to get knocked off my horse and see my legendary bear pelt go flying off the back of the horse uh and see my horse fall off a cliff that actually happened uh earlier today but that's okay uh that horse was kind of i wouldn't say disposable but it wasn't something i was tied to but yeah there's just a lot to go in the, in that game and i feel like um, just like witcher 3 i'll become fully absorbed in it soon enough and spend a couple hundred hours but we'll see uh there's just a lot to get into regarding that um and luckily i don't have anything else to review for a while so that's that's been okay so let's get into the news of the week. Uh, let me go. We'll go ahead and knock off some of these smaller news stories first before we get into some of the bigger stuff that we wanted to discuss. First off, uh, this week, Koei Tecmo uh, and Gust announced that they're making a whole new Atelier game. I would say all new because uh, this is called Atelier Lulua, Lulua which is kind of hard to say. Uh, and it's the Scion of Arland. And so anyone who's played the Atelier series before knows that back on the PS3, uh, when it first came to that system, the first trilogy that they put out was the Arlen trilogy. So this is in fact the fourth entry in the Arlen series, um, or the sub-series, if you will. So Lulua is actually the daughter of Rorona, who was the main character of the first Atelier Arlen game, Atelier Rorona. Uh, so I thought that was kind of weird, <laughs> they, that the fact that they're going to put out a new entry in the series after celebrating its anniversary, um, and it's also interesting to point out that Koei Tecmo America has already confirmed that that's coming to the West, which is what is pretty odd about this is that Nelki and the legendary Alchemist, which is supposed to be like the Atelier 20th anniversary uh, entry celebrating the series like that, that's supposed to be out sometime um, in early next year. And the next uh, Atelier Lulua is supposed to be out sometime this spring. So maybe like three or four months apart, we're going to have two uh, separate Atelier games coming out. Oof. It's it's kind of weird, and I don't. But quite that know. anniversary titles kind of plays differently, though, doesn't it? Yes, it's not like a stand. It's got like town building, and it's supposed to have like all the different right. characters. It's like a it's like a crossover game, if anything, because it's right. got Atelier Iris characters and stuff like that in there. I just I just thought it was kind of weird that they're putting it so close together like this, um, and you know, it's it's going to be a lot to play. Uh, but yeah, that's that was announced, and uh, I'm. I, I, I'm ashamed to admit I've played all the Atelier games, but I've only played Verona. I've not played Tatori or Miruru, and this takes place after that third game. So it sounds like I'll have to play some catch-up before I even want to touch that game. So, so this oh, is the, the first sub-series that has more than three. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, most three. Didn't the, dust, um, didn't the Dust series technically have more than three? Nope. It was Aisha, Eskenlanji, and uh, Shali. That was it. That was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so far it's just been three and or two. Like, I think it was Marie and Ellie was, was just, if I'm not mistaken, I think there was, that was just two. There could have been a third, maybe. I think they had maybe a, when they came together, Atelier, Mary plus Ellie. I don't know. But uh, it, when we're talking about as the far as the modern era, yeah, it's Arlen and the Dust uh, one. And then the uh, 
mysterious was it called the mysterious alchemist trilogy i don't know i think yeah <laughs> yeah that and so there's that... mysterious book and mysterious yes. painting yes okay. that was it was atelier sophie uh fierce and then the recent uh lydian Sewell. That's that's coming out, and then yeah, Nelky is supposed to be like the culmination of all those games, plus the ones on PS2 and PS1. So it's gonna be weird, uh, and I don't know why they're doing that, but uh, they did say at least that they're gonna bring it back to the basics. Like when you do an alchemy, it's it's way more basic than it was before, not having to do with like a bunch of grids and stuff like that. And it takes some of the uh, elements from those uh, the original Arlen games, but makes it better. So. Um, which is kind of cool because also in December they're putting out the Arlen Trilogy, uh, the DX versions, uh, on uh, Steam, PS4, and Switch, I believe. Uh, those three. Um, they're, they're, their Steam pages are up right now. Uh, but yeah, like this is going to be a really good time to play those games because I believe that, yeah, uh, Tillier Lulua is going to be out on Steam as well. So you can kind of jump in those three games and it will take you maybe a, a couple months depending on how fast you play these games. And then you can go straight into the fourth episode. So, uh, yeah, good time to be doing that, I guess. And people who have never played their Tealer games before should play Rorona and, and pick up from there because then you can play all the modern games from there from then on and have a good time like I did. Uh, aside from that, is there anything you also want to say, James? Um, I was just going to say that it's uh, honestly amazing just how much output um, Gust has. It feels like they're releasing multiple games a year every year, and it's like, gosh, how do they manage that for just one dev studio? I know. I mean, it's technically it has been a annual studio thing like for a while now, but even then, it's like you can They've understand. They've got the rubber projects too, so yeah. it's like it's not just Atelier because. There was also uh, ah, Knights of Azure, um, Knights of Azure, um, Blue Azure. Reflection. Yes. Yeah. They got that, and and I think that part of it is because Koei Tecmo picked them up, and they can fund those projects more. But considering the reception to Blue Reflection and Knights of Azure uh, from our site and others, it's they kind of got to stick to Atelier. <laughs> it's kind of the, the total fill in here. So let's move into At some other. I'm sorry. At least the music's always good. Oh yeah, like they're some of the best soundtracks. Just like um, the On Falcon projects, they're always great soundtracks. But we got some other news to get to. Uh, well, like I said, we'll move to some of the smaller stuff. So the next piece, something we can talk a little more definitively on, uh, definitively. Uh, Shimagami uh, Tensei, if received version one point zero zero, its English fan translation finally hit version one point zero, and this is something that. Aeon Genesis, the translation group, has been working on, uh, specifically Gideon G, uh, working on for the past, I believe it's been 16 plus years since that first project got off the off the floor. And since then, uh, a lot has been happening in that whole scene. Uh, a lot of drama. I, I do know about that. Uh, boy, people were on his ass a lot about releasing that translation to the point that he got so annoyed by it that he started to basically fight back in the forums, if I remember, and uh, that got him in pretty bad blood between him and the rest of the uh, Atlas community. <laughs> so uh, I think that at this point, he was more than happy to finally put this to bed and put this game out, this transition out, that's been polished to hell and back with a lot of help from um, people like uh, QA testers and things like that, helping him put that out. He mentioned it here, actually, I want to point out that, and for people who don't know, Shimagami Tensei F is basically Persona Zero, if you want to kind of really reduce it down, 
um, that the whole like the synopsis that it's it's set in a school for one thing, and I don't think any of the Shin Megami Tensei games have been. So this is kind of like where things picked up from, and uh, I think that's actually where I want to leave it that because I know there's people who really want to play this game, so I, I'm not going to get to like the story spoilers because I think the Wikipedia entry that I'm looking at does do that, but uh, it was. What set off the creation of the Persona series is what you can kind of devolve it down to. So uh, that alone should make people want to play this game. And it was for the Super Famicom, by the way. Uh, it was also came out on the PS1, but this is the Super Famicom version of it. But I want to uh, briefly just touch on what he says he went through to release this game. He says he's gone through uh, his... Two, uh, he's gone through his second undergraduate degree, a cross-country move, complete career change, multiple periods of both employment and unemployment, licensure of one of our translation patches, and the beginnings of a family, in addition having to deal with several projects related and discord raids, hate speech, and generally generalized harassment from the SMT community at large. So yeah, it's been a long journey. <laughs> so he's, uh, he finally was able to put this out. Uh, after that early alpha was dropped back in 2002, yeah. So people can go to the Aeon Genesis site. We've got we put a news post up that I'll have it linked in the description for this on on the website for this for this um, TetraCast episode. That you can click on to check that out and download it if you have a copy of the game. But this is a big big point because this is one of the last remaining uh, major titles in the in the series that didn't have an English translation. I mean, there's definitely been spinoffs, but this is like that one that people have been waiting for for a long time, and so it's exciting times, you know. Yep, people just do not appreciate fan translations enough. No, it's almost like they don't understand that this is a hobby and they're not getting paid for it, so shouldn't be so entitled, assholes. Uh, I've always hated the the the. Um, people's attitude towards uh aeon genesis and gideon g for that kind of stuff it's pretty upsetting because uh, it's like you shouldn't do poopy you don't put that out you know like we deserve this like you don't deserve shit <laughs> this is something that uh you know they didn't have any reason to do this they weren't obligated to put this out you know and the fact that all this has come about because of what is clearly a lot of stuff going on in his life you know like like it mentions going through college, starting a family, moving across the country. It's like clearly real life things were going on and there was actual good reasons for why it was taking so long to de- design this that and those other projects that he was probably getting way more help with. And if I'm not mistaken, Shimigami Tensei F spends a lot of time waxing poetry. There's a lot of uh con- a lot of um a lot of text is what I'll say. A lot of work that would have to be done to translate a game of that magnitude. It's definitely not a small game. So uh I don't I was, know much about SMT, but if it's anything like Persona, <laughs> you definitely It's definitely like five okay. paragraphs to explain something that could be done in a couple sentences. That's the kind of game it is. Uh so uh, you know, congratulations to the team and for Gideon Chief for putting that out. Uh, and hopefully that'll get people off his back, but I don't think it will uh, until the next thing he works on. So yeah, that was that was a one of the biggest pieces of news here. Another bit: Square Enix a year ago they shut down Bravely Archive, which is basically a mobile spinoff of the Bravely series. It did have some uh, characters from the 3DS games make an appearance here, but this is mostly an original story with original characters. So it shut down last October in Japan because uh, it didn't have a good reception and people were basically lost interest in it, mostly because it was not a new Bravely game. Makes sense. But this week, out of nowhere, they soft-launched Bravely Archive in English. 
it's the usual places like New Zealand that it's out right now. People are starting to pick it up in other places, uh, but I don't really understand why they're doing it. I think they're having a second go at it. Maybe they just assume there's more uh, fans in the West than there are in Japan, which, you know, just by... That's just math. I think that's true. But uh, at the same time, considering the game wasn't well-received in the first place, I'm not too sure why they're bothering because there's a lot of mobile games Square Enix puts out that they end up canceling in Japan that just never make its way over here, including games that are inspired by or spin-offs of big series. Um, like, was not before Crisis never came to the West? And that would have been pretty sweet to have, but we never got that. That's before Crisis Final Fantasy VII, one of the uh, Final Fantasy VII, what are they called, the compilation games? Well, that that was before the age of the iPhone. That's though, true. Right? That was like that weird, like exclusive. Was it Nikon or uh, I forget what it was? It was like this weird uh, uh, special service that they had. You're right. You're right about that. Um, but yeah, we still haven't gotten most of the other games. Like Sino Alice has not appeared, uh, which is that Yoko Taro game inspired by like fairy tales. Uh, that's still going live over there in the in Japan, but hasn't appeared here. But they've decided to put this game out. Which, you know, people can have some speculation that that means they're trying to bring back interest in the series before they release a new Bailey game, but I don't know. That's about the best that I can say from that. Like, that's the the most speculation I can offer for that, because obviously you can't draw, draw a straight line with a single point, so I can only speculate what this means for the series. But considering all the hype about it lately, and that one Christmas art, like, it's hard to say what's going to happen. But that's... You know, and there's people playing it right now that said it's not that good. <laughs> so it's like they're already having trouble with it. So I don't know how successful it'll be. But I guess we'll have to wait and see uh, when we get some more thoughts about that. And, of course, we'll play it ourselves and see what it's like. So I thought that was just an interesting thing that happened. Moving from there. Uh, let's see what we want to touch on next. I guess we'll talk about this cool thing. Level 5 is reviving Ushiro. People who don't know... Way back, um, I believe it was uh, Level 5 Visions press conference that they had. Like, they have this annual, I don't know if it's annual, but they have, like, this Vision press conference. Uh, sometimes they hold it in, like, February. I think that's where they announced a bunch of their big projects that they were going to bring out for, like, uh, Yokai Watch. The new Yokai Watch was announced there this year. Um, but, yeah, like, back in, I think, September 2008, it was around the time of Tokyo Game Show, if I remember correctly. Ushiro was like this horror RPG that was originally revealed for the PlayStation Portable. Uh, and it was talking about like the, like a bunch of like Shinigami spirits uh, that would uh, grant people wishes in exchange for their lives. And it was like your typical RPG, like turn-based combat, very dark setting, but set in like a modern Japan, modern Tokyo kind of style to it. Uh, and that kind of just died you know the there was there was some a lot to appreciate with that game and it was probably one of my most like anticipated titles at the time because it looks so cool and so different uh you know like kind of like you know the shin megami tensei games of nowadays but you know uh it, it was definitely got that level five feel to it like kind of cell shaded anime style to it but it had a well, lot it wasn't of... the only psp title to just kind of disappear 
Yeah. <laughs> Never to be seen again. Only, 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 I guess now this one was seen again. It is seen again. Yeah, it's it's crazy because so yeah they they there was some uh, there was some uh, interest in it and I think there was like a if I'm not mistaken I think a few years ago there was like a manga adaptation that they put out and so people were like at that time they were speculating that it could be coming back, um, but no what happened was that uh that ushiro has been brought back it's going to be it's been revived for the nintendo switch although there was a recent story that it hasn't started development so i guess he announced it as soon as they put ink to paper i suppose um but this is i think pretty damn cool because so far level five has just been mostly making like licensed titles and yokai watch of course but this is one of their original games that people were kind of uh, kind of depressed about that it never saw in the light of day but you can just look at the art and see how unique uh, of a style it is it's definitely got that sort of kid focused um uh, spirit style to it kind of like the yokai watch games i guess but it's 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 got a kind of a dark mood to it that i hope that we get to see more of and hopefully we get a big reveal of that soon so oh yeah so this was mentioned in the article that we posted this is the same event where they revealed the original nino kuni for the nintendo ds so just to show how long it's been since that was originally announced it's kind of been the year for old game revivals or the like this has been the um i guess the uh the generation of revivals with like neo and this and there was also owlboy and uh kind of class and all these other games that have just been kind of dead for a long time and finally they're they have the budget or the means to really revive them for the modern generation and the switch success of the switch i'm sure has a lot to do with that so good for them good for them and hopefully you know the fact that it hasn't started developing it doesn't just disappear again (laughs) that would suck that would suck so much don't cancel games for the second time granite history is another example of a game that just kind of disappeared that was that vanillaware game uh that just died because ignition entertainment went under and they didn't know what they were doing um but yeah, that's what we got. So from there, we got one more bit of news before we get into like the bigger topic that we want to discuss. That's uh, Disguise 5 Complete. That came out on PC. Since the last podcast, the, they announced the release date and they put it out October 22nd, I believe. Uh, Disguise 5 Complete. And now people who don't remember back in about, I think it was April, uh, they had put out a demo for Disguise 5 Complete. It was supposed to come out early May. And it kind of came out of nowhere because I was even surprised at that time that that was going to be out so soon. Uh, I think they announced it during their press comp. I think they maybe have, I don't know, James, you were there. Did they announce this guy five at their press event in, in February? I don't know if you actually, I think you were at that one, right? Yeah, I was out there. I yeah. think they might have announced the PC port then. Yeah, I- yeah. So the big thing about that is that they use this new uh, piece of software, this uh, digital platform called Alien Alienaire of Alien, oh my god, I can't say my R's. Alienware Arena. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so it's and, like this... in the original dem- the original demo released in April, people could unlock the full game out of it or something like yes. that. Yes, it was. They screwed. Basically, up what they did is they had once you got through chapter three, you would be given a screen basically saying, "Hey, wait for the full game." And but the thing is, though, is that if you um, hex edited the save. To load in after, like in chapter four, you would not get another notice. Yep. So you download the sidestep in the game. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, um, but you know, they did patch it later so that if you did ever went online again, it would basically lock that out. But um, 
people just didn't. By that point, it's already out. Yeah, people already beat the game at that point. You know, like 40, 50 hours. It took them a while to respond to it. Sounds like it didn't. uh, Sounds like with the uh, lack of the online features now, they didn't miss much either. No. Um. So they put it another demo out, and they still use the Alienware Arena uh, uh, platform again for some reason. I don't know. I guess it's just that they signed a contract; they have to follow through with it anyway. So yeah. And then yes, they launched it. But the problem is, as we're going to talk about, it's missing some key features. One of the most important features, which I thought was pretty cool when this came out, uh, when it was originally released on the PS4, I believe this is also on the Switch version. Uh, but I can't, I can't say for sure. I haven't played that one. But the on PS4, you can there was a map editor, so people could create their own maps using like a all a tile based editor. Uh, and put a bunch of different features in it as well, uh, from all the different parts that you could possibly put in, dis- in a Disgaea map. They can make their own maps and upload them to uh, the server and have people download them. So you can play them with friends and down- yeah, just share that stuff online. Um, and for the most part, uh, you know, even saying as much, a lot of people used it to get easy money or easy experience. You know, these were maps to just grind that stuff out rather than relying on, say, like the Autumn World or some other parts of Disgaea. But generally speaking, it was just a cool feature to have because it's, it's it offers clearly a lot of replayability, which is always important for a game, um, especially a game that's completely offline for the most part, except for that. Um, but they removed that feature from the PC release, which is, I don't understand because it's PC, you know, you think it would have enough space to do that kind of thing, and I assume these games were originally developed on PC anyway. Um, they also removed the ability to item share, so you can share items online and stuff like that, give it to other people. Um, I don't know if it's it, what the reasoning behind that, because they didn't really give a good one. Um, but also, yeah, it's, they're, worth they're, noting it's, that it's nothing the, beyond. Oh, go ahead. It's worth mentioning that all of these features are indeed present in the Switch port. So. Yes. Okay, and what are you going to say? Yeah, so we didn't get a reason other than irreconcilable platform differences, and that's it. And then the most egregious part of the statement is that it was decided in the beginning of development that these network functions could not be implemented, but they didn't share this information until about 24 hours after the delayed PC launch. So they knew this for months and didn't share it until people started going to the steam forum saying, where's the map edit shop? Like, like people started start asking these questions. Like, where are these guys? And then, Oh yeah, we, we decided a long time ago, those wouldn't be there. And regardless of whether you think they're important or not, just not communicating that is how, like, even if you give them the benefit of the doubt, you play devil's advocate and there's something that we don't understand or know that does make it impossible. It's impossible. Shouldn't they have shared that well before the day after a delayed launch. It's it's just I don't know. That's kind of indefensible. Haven't they done this before? Did they do this before, or is that a different company that did that where they waited to after release to announce? They did this with Mugen Souls when they yes. uh, did alterations to that. I mean, Mugen Souls wasn't that um, Ghostlight that did that. But uh, no, Mugen Souls was. Uh, I think it was an Idea Factory property that they published. It was. It was. God, it was. It had to have been like around 2012 or something when that oh, happened. I met recently. Like there was another game that came out that we didn't we didn't know about a missing features or problems with it until after we had reviewed the game. But the, that's the thing. Like we we didn't get a review copy. Full disclosure of this game. Um, and I don't think anyone else did because everyone was talking about how like we're still waiting for something and never got it. I don't think it was ever put up for request in the first place, and that might be part of the reason why is <laughs> because they knew there yeah. were some problems with it. There's other problems with it as well, but. 
um, for the most part, that's just you know removing features without communicating that. Um, that uh, that's upsetting, uh, and I don't know what's going on at that company that they they think they can get away with stuff like that still. Like that's what, what what's wrong with them on that point? Jesus. I will say one thing. I do not buy their excuse that it was decided at the beginning of development that 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 these features wouldn't be in there because I actually did play the original demo. I didn't use the hex editing trick to get through the uh, um, through the um, gate, but and I and Evers can attest that the options for those online features were there. Even if they didn't work because it was a demo, those online features were represented in that demo, at least at one point. <sighs> it's not good. I mean, it's hard to speculate. Did they decide that but hadn't removed it yet? Or had they not decided it yet? It's hard to say. Don't want to accuse them of lying, but it's, I don't know, truth or lie in either statement. I mean, considering the situation, this might be harsh, but I don't think, at least when it comes to the removal of these features, they deserve the benefit of the doubt, considering they wait until after. Uh, that's that's a fair statement. That's been kind of the company's MO for the past year or so. It's that they're doing a pretty poor job in communicating. Uh, and I think that they need to kind of reflect on a lot of that stuff. It's been really upsetting. They just released Coven, which was, by all, for all intents and purposes, a good release. It was a great translation. <laughs> it's had, like, how many days since the last mess up? up? It's like, now it's like, we set the, we yeah. set the calendar. It's how many times since yeah, the last yeah, time you, there was an accident. You had a, you had a one-game streak of a solid <laughs> release. One game. That's, that's, that's the benchmark. Couldn't make it a two. And, yeah. you know, people Impressive. are still waiting on Disgaea 3 and Disgaea 4 to come out on PC as well. And so I wonder if they're going to remove any features from there. I just... I wish they would kind of be a little more transparent on that stuff. Uh, you know, clearly, if this is irreconcilable, I, I get that. And that's, you know, that just happens. But tell us, maybe give a better reason. <laughs> like, just say that, you know, I, I, I get it that maybe it's hard to communicate or explain exactly what the problems are. But I don't really know what could possibly be the problem with that. Like, maybe it's got something to do with, like, having a server available. Uh, but... I don't know, just like, this doesn't seem like it'd be that complicated. Maybe they just don't want to run a server to do that, but they already have that on PS4 and, and Switch. The fact that you can do it there, especially the Switch, and it came out at a time when there was no Nintendo online service, uh, like a consistent one like that. So I don't know. I have no idea what the, could possibly be the problem with that. But as you said, it's just all speculation. And even, and even, even, if, they, even if they left us in the dark and we never knew what the problem was, they should have told us... <laughs> At the very least, but on the day on the day of launch, rather than the day after, yeah. just put out a post or something. Just say it. Like, did they really oh. think nobody was going to notice? Just <laughs> remember, like an NPC. It's one of the big NPCs on the base. Like, how would you not notice that? I mean, it, it unlocks yeah. after you play a little bit of it. But that's still like, I don't. I, I, it's it's weird to get so hung up on this particular issue. But it's kind of like compounded when you think about where that company's been going for the past eighteen months. Like, ah, just, guys, get it together. Just, that's, like, bottom line, East America. Get it together. It's, it's, it's hard to, like, support you guys or defend you guys when you do something. Right, if, if this was an isolated incident, you could think, oh, it was just a perfect storm and haphazard and this is what we ended up with. But it's, it's not, it's, it's just The game not. was going to be out in May. They could have put something out around that time when the demo was up just saying, hey, by the way, the game's out next week. We should probably tell you that it's going to be missing a core feature. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say it's a core feature, but I thought that was one of the coolest parts. I even mentioned it in my original PS4 review of Disguise 5, that that was a really cool thing to have. 
and now no one except for a PS4 and Switch could to experience that. I just think it's dumb. I don't. They're clearly not going to add it in later, and you know that's just it happens. But just ironic that they're still calling the PC version the Sky of Five Complete, and people <laughs> are obviously are making the jokes the Sky of Five that the Sky of Five incomplete. Incomplete. <laughs> yeah. Some sometimes you just gotta swing at those very low hanging fruit for these memes and jokes, just because they write themselves. Yeah, I mean, they definitely write themselves. <laughs> okay, uh, well, let's move into another hot topic issue, uh, hot button issue here, and that's something that uh, just came out recently. So, people who already know, uh, Sony clearly this year has inputted some sort of um, new policy when it comes to uh, adult oriented games. I wouldn't say adult only games, adult oriented games, adult content. Sexual gratuitous content, uh, things of that nature. It's one of the reasons why. Um, what was the name of that game that got canceled from PQ? That was uh, a Mega Labyrinth. Yeah, Mega Labyrinth. Uh, people who don't know, that's the game about you know breasts. <laughs> it's like how big the breasts get. It's a dungeon crawler that came out, I think, on the on the Vita, and it was going to be product over here on PS4, I believe. Um, and PS4 and Vita. Yeah, PS4 and Vita. It was. It got a sequel, I believe, in Japan called Omega Labyrinth Z. Um, but... Yeah, well, Omega Labyrinth Z is the version they were bringing over. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. like an enhanced port that also had a Vita version. Yeah, I... that's 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 the version I was going to mention, is that that was the one that we were supposed to get. Uh, and, but at the very last moment, uh, and this is, I guess this was inputted around screen time, I imagine, maybe in the new fiscal year or something like that. I don't know. Uh, that caused Omega Labyrinth Z to be canceled. Uh, from localization and clearly that upset a lot of people for good reason i think we even talked about it before that that was kind of weird uh i think we even discussed about whether to cover it when it was in development to be brought over and we decided against it because of the content but that is not uh, anything to do with like the fact that that game should have come out in some form because there's a lot of other games like it that have been brought over so who cares um they passed the srb yeah Past them, they got a rating. It got the mature rating like it was expected to. Uh, clearly, they had to submit that. PQ lost a lot of money submitting that through uh, that uh, for the for the uh, qualification and still ended up having to cancel it. So that really ate away at their budget, I can only imagine. Um, but recently, that's become a bigger and bigger issue. So a little bit ago, we also talked about this, I think, on the last podcast or maybe before that, Exceed yeah. Games had to uh, quietly delay the release of Senua Kagura, uh, the remake that was coming to, uh, was it PS4 and PS4 Switch? And yeah. PC. PS4 and PC, oh, yes, yes. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they had to stop that because there was a mode in there that you could, uh, it's, I'm, I'm really bad at the names right now, but it's the mode that you get to look at the models uh, of the different characters and dress them up and touch them. The game's still coming out, it's just that that mode won't be there for that At one. least on PS4. Yes, yes. Uh, PC, clearly, Steam doesn't give a shit. So, like, places like that and elsewhere, it's going to be fine. But on consoles, that, that this is why it's a Sony policy. But now, there's this big issue right now where now it's, it's like... There's it's like, it's two things. Um, a few days ago, there was uh, information came out that this uh, one visual novel, I forget what the name is, it's... Like, W for, uh, I, I'm looking at this game. I, I actually have the pictures up right now. So what you can see... There's two visual novels that are being affected. The one that happened today, it's information that basically started getting shared on a Japanese blog from a kind of live stream from uh, developer Late who did the uh, DS Irai visual novel. I'm, I, I'm sure I didn't pronounce that right. Um, they said that their most recent uh, VN, the main reason why they haven't announced a uh, release date for the PS4 Vita port 
is because there's been a change in the submission process for games on Sony's end. And not only do you have to uh, go through Cero and make sure it passes Cero, which means that they're actually stricter than the ESRB. A lot of people don't understand that. But two, um, Sony now, if you're appealing a game or if you're submitting a game, even in Japan, you have to submit it in English as well, which they're not sure if that's going to have an impact on when they'll be able to release or if they're even going to be able to release that port that's already done. And it's, I think it's, it's like, yeah, that's the big thing coming out right now is that's been in English. And clearly there's different opinions when it comes to the content of the games, depending on the territory. Like in the West, uh, they're more okay with violence than they are with sexual content. Whereas in Japan, it's, they're more okay with sexual content than violence. So clearly it's like having to adjust a game for two wildly different cultures is a challenge yeah. in itself. But also like, it's only Sony. It's only Sony yeah. doing this because yeah. like you're talking about like there's like well let me, let me just uh, quickly finish before you uh, go on is that Sorry, there was, yeah. yeah there was uh, this one visual novel uh, that I might link to in our in our post buddy I think it was Seiya Saiga uh, that there was three shots was one was PS4 one was Switch and one was PC Switch uncensored PC uncensored. Not uncensored in the fact that it was like completely nudity, but it's like there was nothing like they didn't edit the original content, which had a lot of side boob in it, uh, or and under boob, I should say. Uh, but the PS4 version, bright, glaring rays of white light, kind of like the you know like the classic style. Like this is our... <laughs> it's like completely. It's almost completely filling the screen. I'm actually going to use it as the big pick for our article, uh, the the banner picture that you see when you click on the article. That's going to be it, uh, because all you can see is like the woman's face. A tiny bit of her like upper like her uh, upper abs, and then like a maybe a part of her torso. That's it, and lo- maybe a little bit. Of it's almost it's almost ridiculous. weird because you see you see the PS4 image and you think, oh, they're censoring it because she must be nude, and then you learn like, oh no, she's actually not. And it's, it's like, like it's actually the original <laughs> image. It's like as far as VNs go, it's actually really tame. It's really tame in comparison because actually she's wearing like these big uh, big piece of underwear, and it's it's even funny. Like some people are commenting, actually, you no, know, those rays of light make it even be- more like you know uh, more like you know. I forget if we said it, and pardon my intonation, but it's Nora to Ojo to Nora Neko Heart. Oh my god! Oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's really bad, and it's clearly upset a lot of Japanese developers because they have to go through this uh, this big process like that, especially for games that were perfectly fine last year to be putting out on that platform. And now it yeah. makes it It's just like, weird because yeah. you see it, like, for for this visual novel, it came out on Vita a few years ago. It was the same I as guess, the Switch and it was fine. And then it's fine. And then the PS4 version is not fine. And then in the case of Senran Kangura, it's had this mode in games that on was... PS4. You know, it's been there before, and... <laughs> And suddenly it's not fine. And I can sort of understand people that have issues like I don't want to I don't want to see this with respect to underage characters. But there are, you know, just we could age them up. You know, I think there are ways around that that don't need to be so uh, I don't know, what's the word? Just so stringent. It's weird because like, I think yeah. they even said on Senator Kagura that they had offered to age them up and they've done that in the past. And Sony was still like, nope, nope, nope. It's just the content. Yeah, just, the just, just tell me that, just tell me that the characters are 18 and I feel like it's, allow ES, ESRB to rate it. And then the, uh, once it's passed kind of those two sort of hurdles, it's one of them kind of just being a personal one and one being the ESRB, and then it should be fine. Like, 
I don't know why there is this extra hurdle now that is Sony imposed only and is not found anywhere else. Yeah, I Gosh. don't. And, yeah, and I, I, I don't want to talk about ERA, but there was a thread on this on ERA that was just embarrassing. A lot of people completely ignoring the issues with how this is affecting these independent developers in Japan. Because oh, ERA was embarrassing? Oh, that's a that's a <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, they're like, oh, maybe Japan will grow up, which, by the way, that's kind of racist. It's like, what the fuck? i don't i don't i don't get it it's it's awful and you may make the argument that maybe it's because the olympics are coming up and sony's trying to present like this friendly image uh for the games on their platform and they want to change things up early to get ahead of that but a lot of these developers especially these smaller developers that do that focus on visual novels that are going to be disproportionately affected by this change because you know the bigger companies are probably not gonna have to worry about this nearly as much but so a lot of these companies they live game to game and having a delay and an extra cost is going to shutter at least one of them eventually and that's not cool it's just kind of funny when i look at that image i posted in the in our podcast chat but it looks like it makes it look like she's completely naked rather than having underwear on <laughs> when they have the razor light that, completely like, block one shred of, fa- of fabric and it's, it's like oh a piece of her g-string or whatever like uh, her underwear like uh, that's yeah, that's I don't I don't understand it, and the fact that Switch is has that game completely under, uh completely fine like that it's 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 just annoying. And at this point, it's like why even release the games if you're going to do something like that to them? You know, it's the argument like at least it's being localized. Like this is games happening in Japan where that used to be perfectly acceptable. Very recently, uh, it would make a difference if it was just like this is going to come out in the West. But now that it's being submitted for English as well, as you said, uh, from uh, we released this today, like, I don't know what that means for the future of the platform or PS5. So to clarify, the, the difference now than compared to a few months ago is that this PS4 release and similar are being censored like this in yes. Japan. Yes. Yes. So and that's that's, that's kind of like where it's it's the problem is kind of growing. It's, just... it's like it, it is Sony's platform. They do have the right to curate it and have and what gets on their platform but when there's been a long-standing history as far back as the psp with some of these types of games in japan and they've had fan bases for over a decade just having a sudden change like this is just irresponsible yeah i think it makes makes some sense because what was it if i'm not mistaken was an omega labyrinth z I think that was even stopped from having an English, an Asian English release because of the content. So even back then, that policy was in full effect. We're just now kind of realizing. Uh, We're seeing the knock-on effects. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that was all that you can say that back then, it, since it was denied an Asian release, that would in- indicate that uh, it was a bigger problem. Uh, and that's now we, we kind of get the full grips of it. So yeah, it just means that the Switch and PC are going to be the home for the visual novel releases, and people want to might want to move over there because Sony's clearly not going to have any of it if you want uh, games like this. So it's Switch really is the Vita successor. I know yeah. it's so weird. It's Nintendo. <laughs> like what they're allowing this, and Sony's like, hold on. It's like the cross buy and cross play. It's it's another example of Sony Sony's hubris getting the best of them and just making some bad business decisions. Like I don't get where Sony's going these days. It's <laughs> I keep ranting against them, but boy, what the hell. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption 2 has this, a lot of nudity yeah. in it, and they're not censoring any of that stuff, so I don't know. Yeah, this is like half a joke, but I remember the 360 last generation had a lot of those visual novels and some of the uh, 
kind of, I guess, racier versions of visual novels, too. I wonder if uh, Sony keeps this up with PS5. That might be Microsoft's uh, way to get a, some sort of audience in Japan. It's weird because you think about the fact that uh, early on, 360 was getting like these big visual novels like Steins Gate and Chaos Child. Well, Xbox and... One did because uh, actually... Chaos Child was originally an Xbox One exclusive. Yeah, yeah, original yeah. Xbox and and Xbox 360. Like these were, uh, they were coming out there first. Auto Master, you know, there was all these big games that were Japan only that were only there. It's also interesting to point out Shimagami Tensei Nine because we were talking about that before. That was an Xbox yeah. exclusive. Like, uh, it makes me wonder if they'll ever get back to that point. But you know, if if Microsoft's going to like approach these developers and say, okay, if Sony's going to put this policy in. We're more open. We're we're far more uh, open-minded about these this type of content. You can put that on here and be able to have a console that's uh, has a lot more uh, like a big install base and be able to expand that way. You know, because they just can't companies, as you said, they're kind of project to project, so it's not like they can only put it on the Switch. And you know, PC, they're still kind of iffy about that stuff a lot of the times. Um, like they could put this on Xbox and Switch and see a lot of growth that way too. But who knows? Who knows what's going to yeah. happen? a lot of speculation that's been the podcast in general but that's all we can do um and hopefully they get their head out of their ass but we'll see in the new year because apparently i think there was a story going around today that the gathering developers to talk about playstation 5 uh like there's this big meeting going on that they're going to talk about the future of the of, of that platform so we'll see maybe the backlash will be so great but at this point they're only really targeting super niche projects, so who knows what that's going to mean. But for Japan, that makes a big difference, so we'll see. But on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap things up here. So, uh, once again, uh, I'd like to thank James and Brian for being a part of this podcast. You can always find us on RPGsite.net, where, like you mentioned, you have the review for Pathfinder, Keenmaker. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, at RPGsite, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash RPGsite.net. Our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash rpgsitenet. You can find us on iTunes, your favorite podcast app. Just search for Tetracast. You can also find us on Discord. Our permanent Discord link is discord.me slash rpgsite. And lastly, we'd like to share where you can find us on Twitter. So where can they find you, James? You can find me at the sweet on Twitter at T-H-E-S-W-W-E-E-T. Great. Where can they find you, Brian? Uh, it's Zeo Masakot, Z-E-O-M-A-S-S-I-C-O-T. And you can find me at Zacharys. So that's it for this edition of the TetraCast. Once again, thanks James and Brian for being a part of this. And catch us next week for yet another edition of the TetraCast. Hi, everyone.